Well, hey guys, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff with this college ministry and I am so excited to be with you tonight. We are starting a new series, Ecclesiastes, very exciting. So if you've got a Bible, would love for you to turn there. It's in the Old Testament. You've likely never read the book before and that's okay, okay? Ecclesiastes is where we will be. Last thing before we jump in, if you're new here to Salt Company, just want to say thank you so much for showing up. We know that this room can be an intimidating room, especially with all these people trying to find a seat. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Thanks for being here. We're so glad that you're here and we hope that you can call this place home. Hey, let me pray as we jump into our time together tonight. Yeah, Father, just so thankful for nights like this. On a Thursday night, we can gather together, we can sing praises to you, we can look at your word, and you can ask the question, what do you want to speak to us? Father, I pray that for every single person in this room, this message would not be for the person sitting next to them, it wouldn't be for the person sitting behind them, but it would be for them, that they would see the eyes of God on their life, they would see the way the Spirit wants to weigh heavily on their soul, and they would be transformed as they leave this place. Father, may tonight not be about Salt Company, may it not be about anyone on this stage, but would it ultimately and only be about you. Father, we pray that tonight would be a supernatural night, that people would leave this place changed, and ultimately that your name would be made famous. Father, thank you that we get to come together to worship you. In your name we pray, amen. amen. All right, here's my question for you tonight. What do human beings need to flourish? Okay, guys, I've been on an experiment my entire life, test subject, on how to flourish. First thing I realized, have you guys ever tried water? That's right, yeah. Hydrated, oh my gosh, okay. Some of you guys' lives don't suck, you're just dehydrated. Like you could fix so much of your life with just a little bit of water. Juliana on our staff team drinks like four ounces of water a day. We are worried about her. Like We're like, please drink more for the sake of our ministry and your health. Water didn't work. So I tried Chipotle. Yes, guys, here's the deal. I know I talk about it a lot. I had Chipotle for lunch today. It was fantastic. The one right down on Grand, great time. There was a point in my college career where I equated how much flourishing I was in with the quantity of Chipotle I was having per week. Like that's how deeply I needed Chipotle. But water wasn't enough. Chipotle wasn't enough. So praise God for Lulu. Okay, okay, here's the deal. The first time a guy has ever tried on Lulu pants, you think it's hyped. You're like, there's no way they're that comfortable. But then it doesn't hurt when you do things. You're like, oh my, the flexibility. I mean, you're not flexible, but you're like, I can move. It's an exciting day. Some of you guys know, you judge me, but you try it on. It's a good time. Water, Chipotle, Lulu wasn't enough. Those things weren't enough for flourishing. Then it was girls. It was talking to multiple girls at the same time just to get the dopamine hit of someone attractive texting me back. And then it was gambling, just to feel something in my heart. But over and over, as I was looking and the search for flourishing, I tried so many different things and I never quite landed there. Okay, the, the way our culture would answer how do you gain flourishing in this life would actually be one word, and that word is freedom. This is the modern messaging of our Western culture. If you want to live a flourishing life, all you need is a little bit more freedom. 
more ability to choose to express yourself sexually with as many different partners as you want, more ability to garner more education and economic prowess so that you can do whatever you want, and more ability to live wherever you want. Move to Boise, you know what I mean? Salt Lake if you're crazy. Like that's, that's the vision of our culture. All you need is a little bit more freedom. And yet today, we have more freedom than ever before and more anxiety than ever before. We live in a culture where you're free to do whatever you want, and yet what it does in you is it doesn't produce flourishing. It produces a low-grade depression, a low-grade anxiety, a questioning on why you're even alive. So here's my thesis statement for you tonight. What we need in this room is not more freedom. We need something a little bit deeper than that. We need something called meaning. We need to know why we exist, what we exist for, and who we exist for. So tonight in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, that's the conversation we're going to be having. We are going to be tackling the age-old question, what is the meaning of life? Deep, yes. As we get into that, I just want to address two groups of people. The first group of people is you're like, okay, Tony, here's the deal. I know what the meaning of my life is. It's Jesus. You're like, got you. Like, okay, Sherlock, relax. You're at a church, I understand. Some of you guys are like, I get the message, okay? Here would be my contention for you. I think many of us in this room would say that we're Christians with our mouths, but the rest of our life would be indexed towards the false meanings we're going to talk about today. Maybe the reason why you say you're a Christian, but you're experiencing a life not of flourishing, in part is due to the way that your life is being indexed toward these false meanings. I know for me it is, okay? Guys, even this week, I was like, does my life have any meaning? Like, I, I thought that. I told Seth that. We were hanging out, and he's like, are you serious? I'm like, yes, I struggle with the same thing. Like, it's, it's real. The second group of people I want to talk to is, for some of you tonight, you've maybe not even really thought about that question before. You've kind of, like, shrugged it off. You're like, oh, what's the meaning of life? No one knows, and then you just move on, okay? My hope for you is that tonight would be revelatory, that the Spirit of God would speak into your life and show you that all false meanings will do is leave you dissatisfied and disillusioned by life. But you actually have access to the true meaning tonight, and he can change everything for you. Okay, open up your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you don't know where to find it, that's okay. No one does, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Tonight we're going to look at me looking at three places you cannot find meaning. You cannot find meaning in the grind. You cannot find meaning in experiences. And the last one I'm really excited about, put on your smart people caps, you cannot find meaning in ideology. You cannot find meaning in the grind, experiences, and ideology. And then we'll end our time together by talking about where true meaning is found and how that true meaning re redefines and redeems all false meanings. Look with me to verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Watch this. This is super depressing. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Welcome to Salt Company. We're all about good vibes here. Just kidding. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil by which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. This is dark, okay? It's going to be an intense message. I keep saying that, like we're not going to have intense messages, but you guys get it. Every week, this is how it goes, okay? So let's talk about this. Who is the guy who's saying these things? His name is King Solomon. How fun. Maybe you've heard of him. King Solomon was a pretty decorated dude, okay? 
he was likely worth about $2.1 trillion. Now listen, I'm no math whiz, but that's a darn lot of money, okay? He's rich as heck, is what I'm trying to say. Our boy Jeffy Jeff Bezos, Amazon Prime himself, is worth $152 billion, okay? So Solomon, he's rich. He's got everything you could ever want. He's like attractive. He's got good drip. Like even Jesus is like, man, this guy, he dresses really well. Like Solomon had everything you could ever dream of. He had kingdoms and power and money and people to be with. He had everything he could ever dream of. And it's from that vantage point that he's actually going to teach us for the next couple of weeks what the true meaning of life actually is. See, one of the moments in Solomon's life that actually define who he becomes is he gets to ask God for something, okay? This is one of the few times in the Bible where God's like, Solomon, what do you want? And he's like, me? Okay? So he's like, I would like wisdom. And God was like, I like that answer. So then he gives it to him. So Solomon becomes the wisest person to ever live. He's got the deepest thoughts that you'd ever imagine. He becomes our philosophy professor asking the hardest questions about life for us through Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let's look at verse 2. Everything is vanity, okay? This is a bummer moment, all right? Vanity. Some translations translate to meaningless, others to futile, but the overall meaning is the same. Everything is meaningless. This is like the moment when you're in your 8 a.m., and you're like, why am I here? Like, you ever have that moment? You're like, did I really spend $50,000 a year for this? Like, you have that thought? I know, it's dark. Some of you guys are like, oh, my gosh, don't talk about my morning. Okay. This is the moment, right? When you're at your internship and you're sitting at your cubicle and you're looking at all the other people and you're like, there's no way I can do this for 45 years. Like, are you serious? That's this moment. Solomon, who has everything you could ever dream of, is looking out at life and he's like, you know what all of this is? Vanity. The Hebrew word is havel. It basically means smoke. He's like, you want to know what the meaning of life is? You can't grab it. You can't really see it. It doesn't exist. Okay? That's what he's saying. That everything is vanity. Look with me at verse 3. What does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? Okay, the word gain here is profit. And he's basically asking the question, what do you gain? What do you gain by working your entire life? Guys, think about I know I'm the bearer of bad news tonight. I'm just, it's so depressing. But like, it's just real, right? Think about this. You spend the best years of your life working away at some job you kind of hate. 22 to 67, that's 45 years. And then you become all decrepit. You know what I mean? Like after, except Crooked T, he's 70 and spry. But everyone else, everyone else is in rough shape. He's going to do the benediction tonight. You're going to love it. But you spend the best years of your life. And here's what your life looks like. Wake up. Eat breakfast, go to work, eat lunch at work, come home, eat dinner, go to sleep. But then you don't just do that once. You do that five days a week for 45 years. You, you ever pause and think about that? Here's what Solomon is saying. You gain nothing from the toil of your life. Because guess what? You can't take it with you. So what do you gain? You gain a little roof over your head, a little nicer metal car to drive around in, more times of Chipotle a week. I mean, that's a pretty good gain, but he's saying it's not that important. What do you gain at the end of your life when you've wasted everything about your life? You've spent your entire life slaving away at some type of job or career that you don't even like, only to look back at 60 years of living and say, I still didn't find meaning there. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying it's all vanity. It's a waste. He's looking at the lives of people and he's just saying people are wasting their lives. 
the organizing principle that will make sense of this chapter. Some of you guys are like, why is this in the Bible? Goodness, it's real. The organizing principle is a statement that he says of under the sun. He's saying under the sun, if life is all that there is, if the atheistic, naturalistic, Darwinistic worldview is true, that this world is all that there is, that there is no God, no eternal life, no redemption by heaven. If those things do not exist, then your life is completely meaningless. What Solomon did is he spent his entire life building up riches and power and money and things, and he got to the end of his life, and you know what he's thinking? He's like, I can't take this with me. So if eternity doesn't exist, if life under the sun is all that there is, then everything is meaningless. Okay, in each point, I'm going to address what I would call a false gospel narrative, okay? So the gospel, the good stuff, is good news. It's that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again so that you could finally live. That sin does not have the say over your life anymore and he has conquered death. That's good news. But what we're going to talk about is the three false narratives within our sermon tonight. And the false narrative of the grind goes something like this. If you just work hard enough, if you just slave away, if you work really hard, get that degree, get that job, get that promotion, get that C-suite executive role, whatever you desire, you get that house on Lake Minnetonka. As long as you work really, really hard, at some point you'll hit a point of happiness and say, man, it was all worth it. What Solomon is saying is that that point will never come. That you will spend the rest of your life slaving away at the achievements of this life only to be completely dissatisfied and disillusioned. Why? Because every achievement in life is just a false peak. Guys, think about this. Think about how excited you were to go to middle school. That's right. That was exciting days, man. You get out of elementary school, you're like, holy cow, I'm up growing up. Like, you have that thought. And then you're like, oh, middle school to high school, people don't smell as much. That's exciting. Praise God. Like, you have that moment. And then you grind all of high school. You work way harder in high school than you needed to. Like, you guys all know that. Like, you could have skated by that sucker and you'd be just fine. But you work hard in high school. You slave, you slave away. You stay up doing assignments that you didn't need to do. And then you're like, man, but college. College is going to be it. And then you get to college. In your freshman year, you gain 15 pounds and you're kind of depressed. Like, that's how freshman year goes. You all know it. Like, don't laugh. Like, don't pretend like this wasn't your life. This has happened to all of us, okay? You get to college. And then what do you do when you're in college? You're like, you know what? My life kind of sucks right now, but you know when it's going to be better? When I get that first job. And then they attach you to that desk for 50 hours a week. And then you're like, you know what? My life's finally going to get better when I have kids. But then you have kids and they never say thank you for anything. Like, I just assume. I'm not a parent yet, but it's just rough going. You're never satisfied. Middle school to high school, high school to college, college to your first job, first job to promotion, first job, whatever it is. That's what life is. You're constantly thinking that in the next stage of life, you'll finally be satisfied. But if you just had the foresight to see that in every previous stage, you weren't satisfied. So what logically would give you the indication that your future stage, you will be satisfied? That's what life is. And what Solomon is saying is you think eventually if you just live the grind, you'll get to the point where you can say all of it was worth it. He's saying it will never come. It will never come. And some of you guys are like, yes. Finally, I don't have to work hard. You're like, amazing. But you're thinking to yourself, you're like, listen, man, I don't want the suburb house. I don't want to live on Lake Minnetonka, even though you do. Come on. Okay. You're like, Tony, I don't want the grind. I want the experience. I don't want to live in the suburbs. I want to live in Salt Lake City. 
I want to buy a van and live in it forever. I just think what the purpose of life is is not work. It's the experience. Point two, point two. This one's going to hit you. Just slapping everyone today. Okay, point two. Meaning is not found in experiences. Look with me at verse eight. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with hearing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I, I said that wrong. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which is said, see, this is new? It has already been done in the ages before us. You guys remember how popular travel vlogging was? That's right. Your favorite influencer takes you to Athens with a GoPro. Oh, my gosh, look. We're on the cliff together eating hummus. Like, that was the whole experience, right? Pretty exciting. Here's the reality. Human beings and have always been and will continue to be obsessed with the new, to live for experience. See, the proposed solution to a disillusioned soul and low-grade de depression is I just need a vacation. You guys ever say that, like this week? You're like, honestly, I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I'm stressed. My body hurts. You know what I need. A vacation, right? All of us think that. We're like, all I need is just to oh, get to Maui. And in Maui, my life will be perfect and I'll never have any problems. Like, you think that. I think that. I really like Maui. But, you know, I went there one time, but it was a great time. Anyways, that's what you think. You're thinking to yourself, the problem is not me. It's my zip code, okay? It's just St. Paul. Like, if I just get out of St. Paul, finally my life will be better. That's because you want new experiences, a new place a new person, a new possession, something new. And you think it's in the new that you'll find meaning. But here's the problem with that in verse 8. It says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. The problem is your eyes will never be satisfied with what you see. The problem with loving new things is that new things become old almost immediately. That person that you're like, man, this, this person, they're a 10 out of 10. They're going to satisfy every crevice of my soul. Like, you thought that. But then it's like two weeks in, you're kind of like, well, maybe it's just that they're not new anymore. Maybe what you want is not necessarily a person to commit to. You just, you just want something new. Maybe for some of you, you're like, man, it's, it's, just, it's just my college campus. Like, trust me, dude. Like, if I was at a different college campus... My life would be infinitely better. Maybe it's not the college campus. Maybe it's your soul. Here's the problem with always wanting new things. You are the exact same in St. Paul as you would be in Spain. You would just be drinking cooler coffee, but everything else is the exact same. See, the truth is experiences cannot actually give you meaning. And so many people have been disillusioned by that vision. Man, if I, just, if I just traveled a bit more, if I just experienced a couple new things, man, I just want to experience a new person. I want to experience a new place. I want to experience a new thing. But here's the problem with new things. They get old quick. And even if you're the most privileged person in the world, like Kardashian-level privileged, which if you are, let us know. But I'm assuming most of you aren't, okay? But even if you are the most privileged person in the, in the world, you know only about 5% of your life is new things? 95% of your life. What do you do? You wake up tired. Ain't nobody wake up excited these days. You wake up tired, okay? You drink the same black coffee. You take a shower. You eat breakfast. You go to class. You go work out. 
You go to class, you do homework, and you go to sleep. You do that over and over and over again. See, here's the problem with always chasing the new. If you only chase the new, you'll hate 95% of your life looking for the 5% of the new. And here's what will happen as you continue to look for new things and try to find your hope in new places. It will leave you completely alone. Listen, I want you to hear this. The loneliest place in the world is not a zip code. It is a type of person who always wants the next person because the present person isn't new enough. Who always wants the next place because the problem is a zip code. It's not them. Who always wants the next possession because first the Lulu pants were great, but now you need other shades and the new styles. Like you, you understand. This is what our entire consumeristic vision of life was built upon. Just get the next new thing because the current thing isn't enough. But here's what happens to your life if you keep looking for the next new thing. Your eye will not be satisfied. Your ear will not be satisfied. You will live completely dissatisfied and disillusioned. And some of you in the room right now are like, this is my life. Ever since I was five years old, I was told that if I could just get to the next level, finally get the starting spot on my team, finally get the transfer, finally get the education, finally get the money, that I would finally be happy. But every step of the way, the more you get, the less satisfied you become. Because Eugene, more, you need something new. So that's the reality. New things cannot be where you find your meaning. And I think our culture has actually realized this. Like, I don't know what shift happened, but guys, we went from travel vlogging to the intellectual chads. Do you know what I'm saying? On YouTube, like Joe Rogan, the other guys that look smart and like always talk about lifting, but they're like intellectual. Like, that's the shift. We made that shift a couple years ago. Here's why. We went from a culture that valued experience over anything else to a culture that valued ideology above anything else. Look with me to the next point. And the ideology is not where we find meaning. Verse 12 says this, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem and applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's just dark, you know? I mean, you're kind of just like, goodness, man, get a latte. Okay, verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. And I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experiences of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is striving after the wind. So he's basically like, work, meaningless. Experiences, meaningless. Even knowledge, meaningless. Okay, that's what he says. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Okay, so here's Solomon's life, right? He's like, man, maybe if I just work really hard, my life will have meaning. Maybe if I just build the palaces and build the towns and get the power, my life will have meaning. Oops, that didn't work. Okay, now I'm going to try experiences. Guys, this guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which means he had 1,000 sexual partners. He tried the new. A thousand times over. He had access to the entire world. He tried the new in his travel plans and his possessions. He had everything you could ever want. And he said, okay, that's not where I find meaning. So maybe I'll try my intellect. Maybe I'll become an intellectual Chad. That's what he was thinking, you know. Maybe I'll gain an ideological framework and that's where I can find meaning. Okay. This next point is about to get really heady. So put on your smart people caps. Great. 
I'm about to offend everyone in this room, okay? Just a heads up. Here's why I mention why ideology is a false place to find meaning. Because we live in a culture right now that has discarded Christianity, but has not discarded faith. We have a new form of religion in 2023 in culture right now, and that new religion of our day is attaching ourselves to an ideological framework, hoping and believing that it is in that ideological framework that we'll find meaning. Let me explain. In the left, so you guys are like, oh shoot, okay. I'm not telling you who to vote for, I'm just saying what's happening in culture, okay? In the left, the way to find meaning is to attach yourself with a different disenfranchised group of people. It's to become an ally with a sexual or ethnic minority and say, that's where I find meaning. It's in standing up for those who have received injustice, that's where I find meaning. On the right, on the other side, where you find meaning is your level of nationalism how much you care about the nation that we're in right now in conservatism, how much you value morality and morals. In other words, on both the left and the right, we find an ideological framework that is actually swept into what we would consider a level of religious zeal. Okay, think about this. Both left and right, either party, either framework has these things. Okay, think about how just religious this is, okay? They have a gospel message, a call to evangelism, a holy priesthood, a conversion story, members who are baptized in, those who do not know the truth and need to be educated in it, dogma you have to believe, teachers and heretics. Guys, think about what's happened in the last 10 years in the West. We have fully constructed a religion without Christ. We are not people who struggle to believe. In fact, every single person that you ever meet believes in something. We in the West have constructed essentially two versions of religion, one on the left, one on the right. I'm not saying what's right or wrong. I'm just saying this is the reality. And the hope and the vision of the false gospel in the West is, man, if you just believe in an ideology enough, here's what it's going to do. It is going to give you purpose and meaning and value and worth and an identity. Think about how close that is to the gospel message of Christ. Okay, so what's the problem with that? Why is that a big deal, Tony? Why, why is it a big deal? Why, why shouldn't you just let people figure out their ideological framework and kind of be attached to some level of religious zeal on the left or the right? Here's the problem with the ideological framework of our day. It promises you flourishing and joy and purpose and meaning, but it will leave you destroyed. The further you get into the left, the further you get into the right, what it will produce in you is a level of anger and anxiety that you could not have foreseen. See, Solomon says something really insightful in verse 18. He said, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Okay, why is he saying that? This is layman terms. The more you know about the world, the more you hurt. Because you see the injustice in the streets. You see the tribalism in culture. You see the ways that people are being used and the people are being abused. You see all of the pain in this world, and it doesn't leave you with more meaning and more purpose in your life. It actually leaves you hopeless. It produces a sense of brokenness in your soul. Listen, I think what this next generation needs is Christians who can be nuanced on just that right there. To say what you're believing in right now is not just an ideological framework. It is a full-fledged religion. But the gospel is not there. It is not a gospel of grace. It is a gospel of condemnation. And it will destroy your life. 
So here's what we find. As we call the worship band bell cup, here's what we'll find. You can try to find meaning in the grind. You will not find it there. You can try to find meaning in experiences, but you will not find it there. You can try to find meaning in ideology, in politics, in political polarization. Whatever you want to try, you will not find meaning there. None of those places have meaning. Okay, so some of you guys are like, wow, that was, that was dark. Like, wow, my goodness. That was like 30 minutes of pain. Yes, true. So the point is, the question is why? What's the point of all this? What is Ecclesiastes 1 actually supposed to show us? Is it just that all of life is meaningless? Yes. What are we supposed to do about it? Just keep going down the meaningless, you know, rabbit trail? No. Here's what Ecclesiastes 1 is trying to teach us. All false meanings will fall short, and they should create a craving in your soul for God. When you go to work and you're like, this is meaningless, the conclusion is not, I should quit my job. It's to say, man, God, I need you. I can't find my meaning in the grind. I want the living God. When you go on vacation, guys, I went, I went to Maui one time. It was my freshman year. It's back when I had money. I'm, I don't have money now. Anyways, freshman year, I went to Maui. And guys, day one, it was amazing. Day two, it was nice, Okay. Day three, I was like, man, I'm back to my old self. When you go on vacation, when you experience new people, new places, new possessions, and it doesn't satisfy you, the projection of your soul should be, man, I wasn't made for new things. I was made for a living God. When you go out in culture and everyone's trying to lob ideology at you and saying, hey, man, you need to believe in this or you need to believe in that. And if you believe in this, it will finally produce meaning in your soul. And then you start going down that rabbit trail and you find that even in ideology, you can't have meaning. The correct response is to say, I was made for something far bigger than this. Not some type of ideological cultural war. I was made to know the living God. I was made to know him. Okay, here's how I want to close. Greek philosophers for hundreds of years would stand outside of cities and they would ask the question, what is the logos of life? That means reason. What is the meaning of all of this? John chapter one, verse one, is the answer to all of the Greek philosophers' questions and the answers to yours tonight. What is the meaning of life? Here's what we see. In the beginning was a logos. That is the literal Greek word for the word. And the logos was with God and the logos was God. Here's what John is trying to say. Meaning cannot be found in the grind and the experiences or ideology. It can only be found in a person. And you will spend the rest of your life trying to search for false meanings. And all of those false meanings will fall short. But the one meaning that will transform the very nature of your soul is knowing King Jesus. And here's what Jesus does for you. He redefines and redeems all false meanings. Look, some of you guys are in the grind right now, and you're like, man, I don't see meaning in any of this. Here's the beauty of following Jesus. He imputes meaning into your life. Just knowing him is meaning enough, and your life can have meaning in the grind because he is going to redeem the grind to faithfulness unto him. That everything will have eternal perspective in light of who Christ is. He redeems experientialism. Guys, in experientialism, you can only, quote, unquote, really live like 5% of the time. But in Christ, by the Spirit of God, His Spirit can reside in you and you can live a Spirit-filled life 100% of the time. You can experience life through the lens of Christ. And the last thing He redeems is ideology. What was once a false religion 
that's trying to convince us that if we just commit to ideology, we'll finally have meaning and value. Jesus wants to show us that, no, 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 our meaning and value is not an ideology, it's in Him, which means our ideological frameworks can get redeemed to image bearers in Christ. Listen, what I want for you guys in this room tonight is not to fall for false gospels. You will not find meaning in the grind. You will not find meaning in experience. You will not find meaning in ideology. It is only in and through King Jesus. But here's the good news I have for you. In and through him is the best life you could ever imagine. So whatever you've come in tonight with, whatever doubts of the faith, whatever ways that you subscribe to false meanings, my invitation for you tonight is to see that the Logos of life wants relationship with you. He wants to know you and prune you and call you to life full in him. Let me pray that that be true of us. Father, I'm thankful for moments like this in Ecclesiastes chapter one, where we find that there is no meaning outside of you. Under the sun, there is no meaning in this life. Everything is vanity, everything is toil, everything is havel. But Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity to not just live under the sun, but be given access to a life outside of the sun. Eternal life in you, where we can taste what meaning actually is, where we can live life and faithfulness to you, where we can see our grind redeemed, our experiences redeemed, our ideology redeemed, all by the blood of Christ. Father, I'm thankful that eternal life is at our fingertips tonight. And all we have to do is say, I believe in the one who was Logos, the one who came to give meaning to life and to give meaning to me, I believe in him. He's the meaning of my life, not the grind, not experiences, not ideology, only him. It is only King Jesus. He is where I find my meaning. He is the one who gives meaning to my life. Father, I pray for us tonight that we would worship like that's true, that we have tasted the eternal God. We have seen the glory of King Jesus and we want to worship you. So Father, may our voices rise, our hands be lifted, as we praise the one, the Logos of life, the one who gives us true meaning. It's only in you, Jesus, that we can have meaning in this life. And it's your name that I pray, amen.